This episode of the Tabletop Submarine Podcast is produced by Cake Pie Games. Cake Pie Games, games that are a piece of cake to set up and easy as pie to teach. Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. Here are your hosts. Voyagers! People with ears or people without ears, people with eyes, people without eyes, any people, just people in general, welcome to the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. That includes you, Andrew. This is so good to have you here. As always, my name is Josh. With me is my already pre-introduced co-host. My name is Andrew. And our guest today is very special. It is Jonathan Gilmore Long, who is a game designer and game developer. Does more developing than does designing, but he's still got quite a long list of designing games. Uh, Dead of Winter is probably his most popular. Dinosaur Island is also another one of his. But he's got his fingers in all sorts of games out there. Jonathan, welcome to the game. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, so... John Gilmore, you've been, you know, I'm gonna get used to saying John Gilmore Long because you recently got married. I'm just gonna go with John. But John, he's yeah. Yeah, he was you were one of the first people when I got into this whole hobby that was recommended to talk to, and you were very kind enough to give me some of your time to talk about development and game design in general. And then when I started this podcast with Andrew, you were on a very short list. It's taking you a while for us to get here, but <laughs> he was you're one of the first guests I wanted to reach out to. It's just that everything started cascading, but now you're here and I'm excited. So how have you been? How's life? What what's what has John Gilmore Long been up to lately? Uh things are good. Like you like you mentioned, I got married earlier this year. Um, so that was really exciting. And we had a, a three day long convention for a wedding. So it wasn't a traditional wedding. It was a we invited like two hundred and fifty ish friends and family and you know, had had a big old convention here in Montpelier, Ohio, middle of nowhere. <laughs> Uh, and, it, and just you know, hung out, played a bunch of games, and got married. So that was a, a great experience. The best, the best way to do it, I think. I have to say, I'm very, very jealous. I'm sad that I did not think of that for my wedding. Uh, Matricon is a phenomenal name, and I hope it becomes a tradition. I hope you do this every year, your anniversary. That'd be really cool to just have people back over and and be able to celebrate that again. Because I think that is just a great idea. Yeah, that's our plan: is to to hold it every year and keep it an actual convention. Uh, we won't have to do the wedding part next year. That'll be nice to not have to do all that. But, you know, just have enough space for everybody to hang out and play games. And venues here are real cheap, so it wasn't it wasn't terribly expensive to do. So it was, it was nice, and we'll I think we're going to do it every year. And it gives us, you know, it makes us celebrate our anniversary. Like we can't find an excuse for not doing it if we have to hold the convention. That's <laughs> all. I'm sure we'll get more into Matricon a little bit later. But for for those of you who may not know who you are, John, who are you and what have you done in the game industry? So I have been a designer for, I think, maybe 14 years, 12 or 14 years, um, and a developer on and off throughout most of that. But I've kind of shifted more and more towards development over the years because... I really enjoy helping other people get their games made and make their games better. Um, so so I've, I've just been making that transition. At the beginning of the pandemic, 
I decided to pivot a little bit and start doing one-on-one -on -one consultations with designers. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, kind of development at a much earlier stage, but I think that it's, you know, overall been really helpful for people to be able to, you know, get some developmental feedback early on in the process. And, you know, some of my clients have even been people with like no experience designing games and they just want to learn how to. And, and I'm like, yeah, like I can meet with you and, you know, give you ideas and help you, you know, learn the ropes of making a game if, if that's what you want. You know, I can do anything from that to, you know, publishers that are ready to put the game out and just need some fine tuning and balancing. Um, and I remember when you put that out there, I was one of those people who was very borderline on taking you up on that opportunity because I thought that was really great. Uh, I just didn't end up having the right times to read out to you personally, but I saw how much you were helping other people that I knew and I heard how much great feedback you gave. So I can endorse through the grapevine how well you, you did for a lot of those early designers. So they're really appreciative. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much. It's always great to hear that. And I'm always happy to, you know, work with you, Andrew. If you, if you, I'd, I'd happily throw you a free session as well. You know, if we can I, find the time to line it up. I'm happy to make the publishers pay you. That's fine. Uh, I've got a number of games that are now signed, but aren't out in the world yet. So it's only a matter of time until somebody uh, taps me on the shoulder and says, who do you want to help develop this? And I'm going <laughs> to, I have a short list of names I already got. So it's all good. I appreciate that. So how do you approach, but yeah, so, so, go ahead. No, oh, no, John, go for it. No, go ahead. So how do you approach developing oh. games? Um, so for me, you know, I'm really, my whole adult life, I've really been very much into listening and reading about Rick Rubin. And I absolutely love his style of um, producing. And like, if you read much about him, I mean, he's produced all the greats in the music industry over the years. He's worked with everybody. Um, but his, his approach is very, very holistic. And, you know, I love, there was an interview where the interviewer was there in the sound room with them. And they're like, do you know how to work all this equipment? And he was like, no, I can't use, you know, I know the basics of the soundboard, but like, I can't, I'm not a, you know, I, I, I don't have that um, technical level of skill. And they're like, well, what do you do? And, and he was like, I just, I know what I like. And I know how to cut things out that I don't like. And I, and that's really the approach I've always taken. I, you know, take a game, I look at, you know, what I like about it and how to make those things stronger and cut out the things that I don't think are strong about the game. And a lot of the time it's just trying to reduce the, you know, cognitive load on the players and make sure that, you know, you eliminate edge and corner cases as much as possible. So some of it's kind of routine stuff, but a lot of it's just, you know, this, this part doesn't feel right to me and let's dig into why. Awesome. So with all this experience you have now, what have you been up to recently? So for the last uh, year now, I've been uh, employed full-time by Maestro Media. So for them, you know, I've worked on some of the, some of our IP games that have come out. Um, you know, the big ones have been Hello Kitty that is on Kickstarter right now and ending pretty soon. Um, I've been done, been doing a ton of development on the Smurfs game that'll be out next year. And I'm really excited about that one because it's, you know, from Bruno Fiduti and Thea Riviere and the Kadama group. So uh, stellar people to be doing a, a Smurfs co-op game and their core was so solid. It was just fun to really stretch it and take it in some different directions. I've already seen the prototype on the table, so that's nice. I mean, it's going to have better pieces and upgraded to pits and stuff like that, but it already looks cool on the table. Yeah. 
Yeah, they did. So they did a really good job of table presence and stuff. And, you know, I've been just kind of pushing the levers and seeing what things I can change. Um, originally, it didn't. Uh, you collected the Smurfs in front of you and you just kind of activated them. And when you rescued more Smurfs, it would bump them out of your lineup and then you'd get new Smurfs. And, and really the big development thing for me was changing that into like a communal deck building element. So like whenever you rescue Smurfs, you put them into the deck, but you actually get them directly into your hand and then they cycle through the deck and you can get rid of the, you know, the, um, the Smurfs that you start with are not, not the star Smurfs. Let's just say that they have a lot of restrictions, you know, clumsy Smurf will smash your inventions by accident and, you know, uh, angry Smurf doesn't let you collect as much resources so you know it's fun being able to make every card feel and give the smurf personality that the fans know how so how do you guys choose your ip says in my opinion the smurfs and hello kitty are not your traditional ips that are kind of associated with board gaming i love that they're out there but how do you guys go about choosing which ones to like putting make a game out well of? i mean honestly so the way that Maester kind of does it is we look at like the, a lot of the like global IP rankings and things like that. So it's not necessarily that we're looking for things that might resonate with gamers. We're looking for things that have a big fan base and that we can do something interesting and different with. Um, so, I mean, we don't want to make the IP games that everyone else is making. We want to try to do, you know, our own little niche and make them, make them special and nice and, and for the fans, but also for board gamers. And that makes total sense, like, because you've got you guys have done the binding of Isaac and lots of board gamers who come when I was working on my board game store, they would come in and say, Well, what's the binding of Isaac? And you don't realize how big that game was outside of like in the video game sphere, which is way bigger than the hobby board game sphere, how big that game is. And then I don't think mm-hmm. even a lot of Americans realize how massive the Hello Kitty IP actually is. Like gargantuan. Yeah. It's like one of the top three global brands. Yeah. Even people who don't know what, what people, what's funny is that a lot of people I, who I talk to, they don't know Hello Kitty is anything beyond like a picture. Like there's a whole, yeah. whole show, whole TV, whole media thing behind it. So I really like what you, you guys got a great talented team at Maestro Media. We're going to have Roberta Taylor on here soon to talk about Hello Kitty. Who's, she's the main designer behind it. So mm-hmm. whatever you guys are doing, you guys are doing great. <laughs> and so you also have something well, called a collab as well coming out, correct? Yeah. So I still do design. I don't do it as much as I used to. Um, but collab was a co-design between John Meatling and myself. Uh, he runs Portal Dragon Games, which previously did um, Palm Island and and a bunch of other really fun projects. But um, he used to be local to me, and we would we had weekly playtesting pre-pandemic, um, you know, either at my office or at a game store. But whatever, we were meeting up every week to playtest, and he would come occasionally. And uh, one time he brought this game called Collab, and he took this little miniature out of the box that was holding a die up, above, like a little robot that was holding a die above his head. And as soon as I played it, I was like, I would like to co-design this with you. Like this is, it's really fresh because it's, uh, because it's collab. So the theme is that you're down on the luck, you're down on your luck, mad scientists who can't afford their own laboratories. So you have a co-working space, (laughs) uh, 
you know, as a modern mad scientist would. So you're sharing this workspace with the other players and um, it's, it's collaborative. So it's still competitive. Just one person wins. But when you send your minions out to do work, they help everybody at that space. And, you know, when you do things that move the game forward, it, it makes the game grow for everybody. So I was really enchanted by the idea of this collaborative board game. And then we kept pushing it more and more in that direction where, like, we were like, well, what if we called it a take this game instead of a take that game where you're, like, constantly oh. just giving the other players stuff. So we like really it. leaned on that theme and explored it in a way that was super fun. And John, uh, so John does a lot of, um, like, Kickstarter videos for a lot of big Kickstarters. He's really good at that. Um, but he's also just an incredible artist and graphic designer and the things that he's done to like put the board together, everything puzzle pieces really nicely. Um, we have like dual layered puzzle piece boards. So all the puzzle cuts are hidden, hidden underneath the, the top layer. So it's just like, as a product, it's beautiful. And, you know, he did all the 3d modeling himself and it's just amazing, uh, what he can do. So that, that was a joy to work with him on this one. I'm looking at one of the pictures here on BGG and I actually feel, feel like the dice holding elements are phenomenal. The sculpts are really great. Um, so yeah, I, now that you're telling me about it, I'm starting to Jones for it. Now I really want to play. So that's great. <laughs> well, next time we're together, just let, you know, and, and in the same area, if it, you know, if you're at patch you or anything, let me know and I'll bring my copy and we can awesome. throw it on the table. I'll be at PAX I you, so I might, I might, to PAX. I might reach yeah. out and see if I can get a look at it and then just mock Andrew. So. Yes. <laughs> That'd be perfect. Awesome. Well, my instruments are starting to light up a little bit. Let's head into our pre-launch and talk about some games we played recently. The pre-launch. Get to know us and our guests. In the pre-launch, we talk about one game we played recently and we give our thoughts about it. I'm actually going to start with you, John, because you have a game that has some of my favorite artwork that's come out of a game in the past two or three years or so. So how about you take it away if you don't mind? Yeah, so um, for me, probably the game that's enchanted me most in the last year that I've played is um, Artisans of Splendid Vale, uh, designed by Nikki Valens, who's an incredible designer. Um, I, you know, I've played a lot of their prototypes and games. And I just think that Artisans is, for me, one of the best story games I've ever played. Um, and, and I think it plays the best at exactly four players, which is always a tough sell. Like, you can play it with less people, but one of the hooks is that each player has a storybook, um, you know, a bound book that they have in front of them that has, like, all the little story bits and art and things for our adventures. And as you, you know, explore the world, it'll tell you to go to specific pages. And then it has like a little bit of a choose your own adventure. Um, but they did it in a really smart way where um, each player has like their lines. So like one person's reading off the main text in the storybook, but then it'll be like, oh, well, Josh's character reads this off. And then that's not even on my page. So if you weren't playing, I wouldn't even get to see you know, what you say or what hints you have. Mm. And it, it, same with when you see like the images of things, like we all have a very common image, but elements of it might be slightly different based on, you know, the specialties of our characters or, you know, who we are, or what our backgrounds are. Um, so like that's, that's really enchanting to me because it feels like 
role playing mixed with a uh, like a stage play because everybody okay. has a script that they're following. So it makes it really easy for people who don't play RPGs to get into acting out their role. And I think that's an amazing thing. Like that's one of my favorite things in games. And then, I mean, on top of that, there's like all the systems are very, very tight and easy to learn. Um, so it only takes about half an hour to learn and get into the game for the first game. Um, the campaign elements are really great. Every character has a different level up tree. So like as you're gaining experience, the tech trees all work completely different because nice. everybody's like a different you know class of adventure. Like one person can make potions, one person can craft artifice stuff. But like the, it's only for like their uh, robotic arm. So like as they level up, they're like crafting new things for their arm. Um, and and the thing that really stuck out to me is our first playthrough of it. Um, when we got to the end of the first or second session, I don't remember which, um, everybody at the table cried at the story. Like, Aww. it did that good of pulling out emotions and, like, telling a good story that we were all so invested. Like, when this emotional beat happened, like, it it actually made us well up. And, and I think that's so beautiful when a game can make you you know, forget reality and think about things from your character's perspective or as the character. You know, it's one of the things that we really inspired to do with Dead of Winter is we wanted people to not necessarily play for a goal, but to like make decisions based on their own moral compass and not mm -hmm. not like this is what this is what I have to do to win the game. Uh, we want people to be like, oh, this is what I should do because it's the right thing or it's what my character would do. So I, I love any game that can pull you out of it enough to make you forget about the game and think about it as the experience. I have a question for Josh. That is, are you going to buy this game in the next two hours? <laughs> if I can, if I can afford it, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a bear. And that's the thing. Like, this is why I was excited to hear John's opinion on it because I saw it and it looked like my kind of game pervadum, but yes. I don't often get to sit down with, you know, four players at my table. And when I do get to sit down with four players on our table, it's usually an inconsistent group that we meet weekly at. And we don't really yeah. play campaign two games too often. So am I buying the hours? No. Do I want to play it? If I had a group of four I consistently play it, I would have already bought this game when it came out a couple like months ago. So <laughs> that makes sense to me. I would I would suggest trying to find three other people that will commit to playing through it yeah. because it is, it is unlike any other campaign game I've played. Uh, in the interim, if you wanted something that you can play in more one-off sessions, I really am enjoying Freelancers as well okay. from Plaid Hat Games. Okay. Um, the writing in it is great. Like, we laughed a lot during our playthrough of it, which you know isn't the same hard-hitting emotion, but it's still really good. And those are all one-off sessions, so you don't have to, you know, carry through an entire campaign. Nice. Well, three... Thank you, John, for that. Andrew, I want to hear your voice. What have you been playing recently? Yeah, so uh, at Origins this year, we were putzing around playing some Crokinole, and one of the guys there, his name's Mike Barth and Adam Zibrakowski, uh, got me to play 12-Chip Trick, which I'd almost forgotten about, except that it just came up on Board Game Arena. And this is one of those games where somebody somewhere said, 
what is the least possible components I can use to make a trick-taking game? In this case, it is literally 12 chips. It is 12 poker chips, 12 crokinole pieces, whatever it is. And it's just a number on the back side of it. Um, you start off with four chips. And as you play them to the center, someone's going to win. And they have to take one of those chips face up back. And then everybody else takes those other uh, chips back into their hand to play again. So you're going to play a maximum of, I think it's like eight possible tricks going on. Because as soon as someone has four tokens face up, it scores. And essentially what you're trying to do is get under 21, but be the closest to 21. Um, But part of the trick in this game is getting people to take more points than they want to take to push them over the 21. So it's the fun thing of like jockeying for position in a literally three minute game. Like it's play a chip, play a chip, play a chip, determine who takes it, flips it over and takes it back. Uh, Really cool. Really interesting. Highly recommend a very simple game. And I can take this anywhere. I can stick this in my pocket and take it anywhere. Nice. Well, as for me, myself, and I, I had the chance finally to play War of the Ring 2nd Edition, a game that has been sitting on my shelf for a very long time. I have, like I said, I have a weekly game group I try to meet up with. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. This week, it was only me and one other person who can make it. And so I asked him, hey, bro, do you finally want to play War of the Ring together? He's like, sure, let's do it. And so we get there at 6 o'clock. We are determined to finish this game in four hours. And (laughs) by whatever, by by the the grace of the gods of Middle Earth, we actually did it. We finished the entire game in four hours. I mean, we both were prepping, like reading the rule books over and over again. So we just go into it. But we finished it. Probably the fastest time I think the game's ever been finished on a first playthrough. But I got to say, I really love this game. I understand why people people love it a lot. You know, in this game, you're playing as either the Shadow or the Free Peoples of Middle-Earth. The Shadow is trying to destroy everything. The Free Peoples are trying to destroy the ring. And, you know, you're rolling dice in your turn. Those dice determine what actions you can take. You pick the actions by either playing cards, moving troops, initiating battles, and so on and so forth. And so there's this really good tug, and, tug of war back and forth. And I got to say, the, the, if you are a big fan of Lord of the Rings, you will love this game. If you like games with a good arc, you'll like this game. And if you like games with excellent endgame tension, you'll like this game. Because as you get towards the end and Frodo and Sam get closer to the Mount Doom, you start drawing tokens that could possibly help the Shadow win the game. But if the Shadow has been prepared enough, they might lose. It is, it is absolutely a game that I understand has an entire culture around it. Because there's so many crevices and nuances to the pace and the way the cards come out that multiple playthroughs are, you know, they're, they're, they are warranted. I want to play this again. Now... Do I like it better than Wuthering the card game? I don't think I do, only because it takes a very long time to play. War of the Ring Second Edition is a very, very long game compared to Wuthering the card game, which is just playing cards from different decks. And so I still think I like Wuthering the card game a lot better, and I'll be playing that more often. But wow, this this, this table hog of a game really just made me appreciate why this game has been in the top, in the BG top. 10, 15 for such a long time. Highly recommend it. You'll especially love it if you like me, you love Lord of the Rings. That's War of the Rings 2nd Edition. I, I was going to ask how you liked the card game compared to it, or if you had played it. So the card game is my favorite game. My favorite card board game. Like, I have my favorite, favorite game, which is Alice is Missing. But, like, my favorite, like, uh-huh. board game, like, that I call, like, a board game between RPGs is War of the Rings, the card game. 
So for a long time it was Fury of Dracula, but the card oh, I just loved loved the board ring. Do you play the card game at four players or two players or what player count? I played it at three players and four players. Four, okay. four players is definitely my preferred way. I think it, there's a really good rhythm and good cooperation, team versus team. Um, three players is absolutely insane because <laughs> I was playing the shadow and playing both hands and versus two two of my friends who were just at Origins. Um, I've heard two players very good. Have you played at two player, John? I did not like it at two players, mm-hmm. um, which was sad because I love War of the Rings. It's one of my favorites. Um, I, it felt really flat playing two factions in the same deck because you don't even dual hand it. I think you draw cards into the same hand mm. um, when you play two players. And it just, it felt like it lost a lot of personality and pizzazz. Um, but I re- I haven't j- gotten a chance to try it at four yet, but I think at four it would sing. It is like probably one of my favorite gaming experiences I ever had is my first playthrough of War of the Ring, the card game with four of my friends. Like it was, I, I, if you have a chance, John, I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. Yeah, it's definitely high up on my list of stuff to play with other people. I was a little bit shocked by how much extra space was in the box. I felt like that was really wasteful. Okay, yeah, no, they're going to take a lot of expansions to fill that up. Yeah, that, it's, wow. it, it's yeah. It, it, there's one thing I will say, Aries, that they kind of dropped the ball on that. It's like I could have this in a box half the size and be perfectly happy. Yeah, it was like a hundred cards in a small handful of tokens in a twelve by twelve box. Yeah. You could is it a small is it a bigger gap or a lesser gap than Splendor? It's I think it's bigger than I think it's a bigger well, waster. Way bigger. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. I would say it probably is using like five percent of the box. Oh goodness. All right. Yeah, it 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 could have it could have been a tuck box. Let's be real, like a really big tuck box, but like it could have been an eight by ten box, like you know, one of the long, short ones. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah, long, not wide ones. Yeah. The splendor size box. It could have been that and had room for expansions just fine. Yeah. But yeah, no, I I'm well, once I get the expand hands on the expansions, I'm just gonna put it all in one box and take the insert out. So Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've been we my Richard saying we're ready to dive in. Now. I want to hear more from John, so let's go to our dive and hear his story. John, the helm is yours. We are prepared to hear the stories of old. Well, I mean, you know, I've been I've been playing tabletop board games for for quite a while you know like i said i've been designing for probably 13 or 14 years so probably playing modern board games for close to 20 and you know i've got so many good experiences like for me that's that's the hallmark of a good game like all of my perfect tens are games that give me like good experiences every time i play them you know i've got so many to tap into but you know when you asked this question ahead of time you know i really put some thought into it and i think that you know probably my most memorable experiences last christmas when uh and when my partner and i started our relationship you know i i got divorced just a few years ago just back in 2020 so i hadn't been divorced an awful long time and you know we talked about you know when we want to take the next step not taking it and you know we both and and I came up with the idea. I was like, well, I really would like us both to propose to each other when we're ready, and then once we've both done it, we'll get married. Okay. Like, neither one of us has to rush it, but then you know we both know that's when we're comfortable. 
and it's it's neither one of us taking the initiative it's just you know it's important to me that we both felt happy with moving forward and um i had proposed to tara um via our advent calendars so we had gotten <laughs> a bunch of different advent calendars uh, you know we gotten the kids some some for us and um i hid everything in the 25th day box of hers i like disassembled the advent calendar box like slid everything into the pocket uh you know and then glued it all back together so she couldn't tell <laughs> so it was in there for like 10 days before um and you know every time she'd open up i was worried that she was gonna find out but then um she had also planned it way ahead of time and um christmas morning you know all my kids were home you know we did the presents and everything and then we were playing some board games and during the game of azul it's like our second game of the day or something like that um and i wasn't even thinking of anything and you know they handed me the tiles to refill the the display in the middle and i was like reaching through it and i was like did somebody throw garbage in here there was something that wasn't a tile and I was like, what in the world? And I like pull it out and it's a ring. And then she proposed to me in the middle of Azul with the kids. So, so that what to me was a really special moment that I'll never forget. That's amazing. That's so cool. And and so easy when you play in Azul to notice something's different in that bag. There's no way you can yeah. miss that. That's even, that's really creative. I like that. It's a really great idea. Yeah. And she, she timed it. So it was when the bag ran out. So like I would have to pull everything out of there. Nice. But yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, you know. I uh, and it wasn't right away that we thought about doing the the convention for the wedding, but you know, I think it was definitely a factor in it because you know we both love board games so much, and you know we that's a big thing that we came together over. So, so what was the? Well, let's start a little more into that. Then, what was the thought process of you know creating this three day weekend? So not only celebrating your guys' life together but also board games as a hobby. What, what were you trying to accomplish? You know, we were probably two months in after getting engaged and, you know, we we're both throwing different ideas back and forth. And, you know, we had started looking at venues and things like that. And um, originally we wanted, we wanted to look at uh, Ravenwood castle, which is here in Ohio down in. Oh, sure. Hattie yeah. Hills. Yeah. A uh, beautiful place. You know, the, the price wasn't too bad. Um, but like the ceremony is limited to 50 people. So we were like, oh, well, we, you know, we've got too many friends and family. And, you know, I had a lot of industry friends that I wanted to invite. Um, so that wouldn't work out. And we were looking at other venues and, you know, most of them were very expensive. And we talked to the hotel that's right near us, um, right off the turnpike here in Ohio. And, um, you know, we got the original quote from them that was really low. And we're like, well, how much would three days cost to like rent the because they have like two uh two big areas for events two big event mm -hmm. spaces and we we're like well how much would it cost to rent that for for three days and get like two conference rooms for two or for all uh, like the day before and those three days so and it ended up only being like a grand and a half to rent wow. the space for that so we're like well that that's a cheaper than everywhere else mm -hmm. and b like that would give us the ability to do this. So it was originally Tara's idea. Like she ran into my office one day and she was like, what if we did a convention? And I was like, that's fantastic. Cause I've, I've always wanted to hold one here just cause I knew venues were cheaper than a lot of other places. Right. And 
you know, we said that, you know, we really want to do it because A, we love going to conventions together, and B, like, at most weddings, you know, you have a ceremony that's maybe a half hour or an hour, um, and then you have a reception that's like three or four hours, and then it's over. And, um, you know, I knew from you know, my first marriage that like during the reception, you don't have time to talk to everybody. Like everybody's no. coming up to you to get there like three minutes. Yep. And I was like, well, that's, that's not fun. Like I want, I want to have enough time to like really spend time. So like, it was great. Like we got to sit down and play a game with everybody in our wedding party almost. And it's amazing. You games with a lot of other people that we hadn't seen before. And it didn't feel like if you sat down and talked to somebody for half an hour, it didn't feel stressful because you were, taking up five or six people's worth of time. Um, so that, you know, that was a big thing for us. It was really important to get to spend quality time, especially after the last few years of, you know, not being together with, you know, people that we love. Mm-hmm. And and also like quality time is very, very important to us. It's one of the hallmarks of our relationship, like whether it's building Legos together or, you know, doing art with the kids or, you know, playing board games, like, Tara and I both really value the quality time. So we're like, well, we can, we can really represent those things that are important to us by, by having this convention. And, you know, it was great. You know, we had a couple people offer to give like to sponsor the convention. So uh, like, um, you know, my friend at all play sent us a bunch of stuff to use as prize support. Somebody else like donated like a thousand dollars from their company to buy prizes with. So like we were able to buy like a bunch of Legos and have events for people and contests and a prize table. And it felt more like a convention than what we were planning originally. You know, we had done a lot of talking about what to do for like our wedding party uh, gifts. And I was like, well, I know it to be expensive, but our venue is really cheap. So what if we move a little bit of the budget over to having custom miniatures made for everybody? And then we would, you know, uh, uh, we bought a resin printer and 3D printed like statue versions of everybody's character and then had those professionally painted by one of my friends. <laughs> wow. Um, and then we're, you know, we're talking about different wedding favors. And, you know, we had gotten some checks, uh, some dice from Chessex really early because they're just in Fort Wayne. So they're not far away from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're like, well, that's kind of the like standard wedding favor for gamers is some custom dice. Um, so then we're like, well, what if we des- and we were talking about not having a DJ at all because we're like, that's just going to be disruptive to the games, and neither mm-hmm. one of us enjoys dancing. Um, so we're like, instead of a first dance, we'll do a first game. Yep, and it'll just be Tara and I playing a game, but we need something that's like ten minutes or less. And there's not a lot of good 10-minute or less two-player games. Um, so we were like, well, what if we design a game for that and just something that you and I can play real quick? And then we were designing it, and I was playtesting. I was like, oh, well, this is actually pretty good. <laughs> um, what if we like, what if we did a 500-copy print run and gave the ways the games away as a favor? I love um, that so much. Yeah, and like, you know, it was only like two or three bucks a copy. It wasn't very expensive, maybe maybe four or five with freight and everything. But like, that's what you're going to pay per person for favors anyway. So we're like, well, we'll just print 500 copies of this. The game will never exist anywhere else. And, you know, everybody will get this, you know, limited edition game. And, you know, um, 
we've got some extra copies. So both of you remind me uh, before we see each other next. And I'll bring a copy for you. Yes, please. I was so jealous of all my friends who went to that and I didn't. And not that I, you know, I, I didn't know you well enough to say I need an invitation. This is not fair. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, first thing they did was play a game and everybody got to watch and cheer you on and stuff like that. That's so cool. And I'm a geek for roll and write games I could take on vacation. It sounds like that's one of the ones I could take. So, yes, please. I would love a copy of that. That'd be great. And yeah, can you tell absolutely. us more yeah. about the game. Like, tell us more about what the game is besides a roll and write. So it's it's a wedding themed game. Um, it's called Werfel Wedding. I don't think anybody's submitted to the BGG yet. I'm waiting for somebody to get that geek gold from doing it. Um, but um, yeah, so we designed it together uh, with our friend David Dorden. He helped a lot, and it's just a it's a two player only roll and write game. Um, it started with the idea of having a grid in the box top, and one player rolling all the dice into the grid, and then rearranging them if they're on the lines so you could kind of like configure the grid the way you wanted it but you know i love uh i slice you choose so the player who decides everything goes doesn't get first pick so you know Mm -hmm. one player rolls the dice arranges them and then the next player gets to start picking out all the dice in one block and then you go back and forth picking them and then you use the dice that you drafted to complete the four different puzzles Two of them are color locked, so like the top left one requires only orange dice, the bottom right one will only accept purple dice, and the other two are num- more number dependent than that. Um, and then the, you know the four things you're doing is like you're um, managing the the dinner and making sure all the catering and everybody gets the food <laughs> that they want. Uh, you're organizing the wedding party and the ceremony. Uh, you're cutting the cake and you're like seating everybody. Um, you know, during the ceremony. So like in the seating, you're trying to make pairs of numbers and then you get bonuses for filling up entire rows. The cake cutting, you're building like a, a pyramid where the the die on the second layer has to be less than the total of the dice under them. So, mm. you know, there's some restrictions because the, the, the cake has to get lighter as you go up. Right. Um, yeah, so just like really nice. And at gathering this year, I got to play it with uh, Phil um, Walker Hart. Yeah, Phil Walker Harding, right? Yes. Yeah, that whoever yeah. that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's designed a million games. I just, I always in my head flip his name backwards, so I, I want to make sure I'm saying it right. Um, but I got to play with him, and he's like, "This is publishable. Like, why aren't you showing this to publishers?" And I was like, because that's not what this is. Like, this is this is our little art piece that doesn't get that not not everybody gets to own. That's right. And I'm curious, how long did it take you to get that ready? Like, was that a two week game? Was it a month game? Like, how long did you quickly burn that around? Um, so we probably spent three months designing and developing the game. So playtesting as much as we could. You know, between us and with other people, whenever we had the chance, we brought it to gathering. So we got to play it, you know, a bunch there with different people and get a lot of feedback. Um, it It's not super complex. So like a lot of the math was just pretty easy to figure out on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, probably three months total working on it and developing it. And then the rest of it was, you know, getting art and graphic design. We had our daughter do one of the pieces of art for like the, the rules. And then we, you know, hired one of our friends to do the cover for the front of it. Um, and then we had another friend do like the graphic design and stuff. So 
so that part took a little while and then you know the traditional like two month ish getting it we, we didn't have time to ocean freight it so we had to air freight it over which was a little bit more expensive but i mean still not not horribly bad no, that's amazing. I just, I just remember my wedding and all the things we had to get right and in time, right? So uh, I was ambitious. I tried to put a cork board together with our initials and the date and everything like that. And I remember that like I was gluing that thing like two days before the wedding, trying to get that thing ready. So I can't imagine trying to do a board game and get it ocean shipped and, you know, the covers and the art and all the things like that. So congratulations to you. That's amazing. And it, it, it was like real stressful, and I think it showed up like four days before the wedding. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so when I was looking at the pictures of your of your, of your guys' wedding online, you know, mm-hmm. it's funny because I recognized almost all the people there for the yeah. most part. It almost felt like it was like a second gathering of friends. And over 20 years in the hobby and just, you know, in life in general, how do you choose to surround yourself with people like how, how do you go around finding people that you can trust to the point where like you know on the show your names have mentioned more than a dozen times <laughs> how, what is your philosophy in life with either whether it be through board games or just life decisions and finding people you can trust and want to surround yourself with i mean you know i i really always try to welcome every single person i can you know whether it's to our game days like I, I got a lot of flack when we started out having our monthly game days. Cause like I would invite people from like BGG and Reddit and like people that I didn't know in real life at all. I was like, listen, like, you know, you're welcome into our home for a game day. Like if you know, you're not cool. You're not like, if you're a problem, you're not coming back obviously. But, right. <laughs> but like, it's, it's scary, right. Uh, you know, inviting people you don't know over to your house. Um, But I don't know. I just, I, I really, I've, I've always tried to cultivate a very good friends group. Like a lot of people that I feel like are just good people. And, you know, a lot of that is the good people introducing you to more good people. Like, you know, getting to meet Andrew this year and, you know, things like that. So for me, it's, you know, it's less about networking or anything else and more about connections. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think like, I'm very honestly like going through my friends list and you know, all the people I knew and like choosing who to invite was tough. Like I thought it'd be yeah. easy being able to have like 300 people at the wedding, but like even then it got real tough at the end of like, who do we send these invites to? And you know, because we don't want anybody to feel left out, but also no, like, you know, the meals were like $60 a person. So yeah, right. <laughs> You know, you can't, you can't invite everybody. So, you know, it was tough. Um, but yeah, you just, you, you pick out, you prioritize, you, you have a lot, we had a lot of people on the like backup list. So like, as people would, you know, decline or say they couldn't do it, you know, would invite a few more people in like mm-hmm. segments. Um, and, you know, we try to keep a mix of family and industry people too, you know, and a lot of it, like, the priority were people that Tara had gotten to hang out with in the last year and a half. So like people that were my friends and also had met her and got to right. hang out with her. Um, and then after that, you know, just people who have impacted me over the years and, you know, people like, you know, Patrick later has been a real close friend during some of the hardest times. So like, I couldn't not have him like, and I, and I felt weird because the wedding party was like 21 people. And <laughs> I think like, four or five of them were Tara's friends and, you know, friends and stuff and family. But, you know, the rest of it was like 
you know, people that I've met through games and have been my friend for a while, but. So yeah, that's tough. Yeah, I mean, I you got a hard that. cap on that number, right? The hard cap is there. You got to figure that out. But on top of that, how do you put a value on importance of people in your life? And on top of that, it, you get to that, that crunch time. And it's like, just like in a real wedding, you got to decide who makes the cut and who doesn't. And I'm sorry, people who just missed the cut. That's the worst. The worst is just missing, right? That's a game in and of itself. But the question is now going forward, you can make the con bigger. So that's our, that's our goal uh, because for the price, like if we can, if we can grow it, we'll rent both of the spaces because they're right next to each other. So, you know, we can about double in size. And, you know, um, one of the things we talked about, we've joked about it with a few of our friends who are engaged. We're like, what we should do is the tradition is somebody gets married every year <laughs> and like they can plan the wedding portion of it. We'll provide the venue portion of it. And, you know, we can have that over in half of it so that, you know, the wedding doesn't interrupt the gaming for the people that aren't going to that person's wedding. <laughs> we were thinking, like, what the tradition would be is, like, anybody who is invited to the first one gets to come. And then anybody who gets invited to the new wedding will also get added to that list. So, like, have, like, two different, you know, ways <laughs> that new people get invited. Yeah, we don't want it to be... You know, we don't want it to be super exclusive. Like, as much as I love gathering with friends, it's tough sometimes because, yeah. you know, somebody's like, can you get me in? And you're like, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't ask me. <laughs> like, I get, I get one invite every couple of years to use. Oh, yeah. It's not your year, unfortunately. It's even, it's even worse to pick because you're like, who do I give my one invite to? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's the funniest. That's just always the funniest thing about the gathering of friends because, you know, it is that way. It is highly highly exclusive and you know I've, I've had people i'd never even been to the gathering of friends and people have asked me how do i like can you get me into it? i'm like absolutely not i've never even been <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like but you've, you've but you've met all these people who go like yeah i've met them doesn't mean i <laughs> it's just funny how the more you get into the industry the more you kind of understand how things work and when you're talking to people who are just like you know they love playing board games but they don't like know the industry like work yeah. trying to explain to them like it, it's it's a very small community everyone's welcome but it's extremely small yeah and i mean in gathering is just it's a magical time like i won't lie like I, I i don't want people to feel bad about not being invited but also like i go for the entire 12 days every year like for me that's the best convention because I don't have to stay up until like two or three a.m. every night because I have twelve days to play games. I can, I can play games until supper time and then go out have supper and then come home and go to bed, and it's fine because you know, or like halfway through the week on Wednesday, I like take the day off from gaming and do laundry and stuff in the hotel and you know do a little bit of work. So I I really appreciate the flexibility of having that much time because again, you don't feel stressed at Gen Con. All you do is like run from encounter to encounter and spend like five minutes talking to each person and like maybe play three games the entire time. Whereas, you know, gathering, I can just spend time with people and, you know, we can sit down and talk or do whatever. It's very much like a uh, networking event at a socializing event at Gen Con. Yeah, totally. I got three minutes. So that that's what I get. And that's unfortunate, but yeah, I agree. The luxuriousness of being able to play games and not worry about, how many am I going to cram in before I have to go to bed is phenomenal. Yeah. And I think, I think one, I think most years I play around 50 games over the course of it. Um, and people bring a lot of like really rare stuff or new stuff. Um, 
it's very because it's a closed convention like they just have tables around the outside wall and everybody like gets a table to put their stuff on and anything you put on top of the table everybody can play as long as they put it back and then the stuff you put under the table is like you know don't play these unless you ask <laughs> so and you couldn't do that at Gen Con or anywhere else. No, be, that's pretty cool. Be one person there just sneaks in their, their grubby con hand and pulls it out without permission. And disgusting. Anyway, I'm, I'm just kidding. Anyways, we are very deep down in the you know sea of Matricon. Let's go ahead and put on our sonar and see what's in our future. On the sonar, we talk about one game we're looking forward to playing in the future. I'll go ahead and kick this one off because it's pretty relevant right now. I'm looking forward to playing Through the Desert. This is a game from Rainer Knizia, and All Play is releasing a new version of it. I recently had a chance to talk to Joe Wiggins about this campaign, and we spent a good amount of time talking about this one. And I am super excited. For one, the artwork is a much-needed improvement. Two, it's All Play, so I know I'm going to like it no matter what. And three, they're adding some new expansions, some new stuff that's been basically this game has been like in limbo for a very long time. And everything that's all the talent that has been in that limbo is now being funneled into this campaign in this game. And I haven't even played the game before. And so I'm excited to actually jump in. And I know what's going to deliver because it's all play. So super pumped, super excited to get to this table. But that's through the desert. John, what's one game you're looking forward to playing in the future? Um, it's, it's an expansion, but I'm really excited to crack into the Descent expansion. Um, I think Legends of the Underdark is one of the best, uh, gaming systems out there. I think that, you know, what Fantasy's Flight has done with the app, like, Mansions of Madness is one of my perfect tens. I think Descent is better, but the downside is that it's a campaign game. And they make every correct decision about what to have the app do and what still happens on the table. So like, I know a lot of people don't like app driven games because they're like, Oh, if I want to play a video game, I'd play a video game. That's not what it is at all. The thing that fantasy flight does that I think is incredible is mansions of madness. First edition. uh, I often call one of my favorite unplayable games. (laughs) Um, If either of you have ever played it, it's the experience is fantastic, but one person that is like the GM has to do about 45 minutes of setup before you play. And if they make a single mistake in the setup, you'll get an hour in and discover that the game's unfinishable because they put one card in the wrong stat somewhere. And it great experience every time, almost every time I played it, except for when that happened, we're like, well, we're never doing that again. <laughs> so really like what they did with mansions of madness is they took all that GM stuff and moved it to the app. Yeah. I think it's fantastic because everybody gets to play. It makes it fully co-op. And then they took it to the next level with descent, And they were like, well, what, what else should we do in the app that would be really fun, but not feel like a chore or a video game. And what they did is, like, when you uh, kill stuff or, you know, uh, loot items around the map or whatever, you get crafting materials all the time. And you can craft new stuff when you go to town. And it just, like, if you, you know, flame enchant your sword, the app just knows that. Like, it's not a new effect that I have to remember as a player. Mm -hmm. Just sometimes when I attack with my sword, it'll proc the flame thing and do, you know, light the thing on fire. And it does that all in a really great narrative way without the players having to remember all the details. 
Awesome. Andrew, take us home. Yeah, so I recently picked up a copy of uh, It's a Wonderful Kingdom, which is basically It's a Wonderful World, but it's only two-player, and it creates as more of a medieval theme, which I'm a little split on the theme. Um, I kind of like the more modern world as far as that goes, but once I played It's a Wonderful World, I was like, this game is great. Um, but I rarely get to play more than two-player games. So once I heard there's a two-player version of that game, I'm like, that's the game I'll buy because that's the one I'll get played at my table a whole lot more. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to check that one out and see how it differs or how it excels based on comparing the other one. Sweet. Well, we have kept John down here long enough in this little hollow tube. Let's get up to the surface and let him walk on the shore. He does like walking on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> I actually hate it. <laughs> Way to go, I thought it was Andrew. in your bio. You liked walking on it the beach and your orange and stuff like that. So, I, I did the long walks on the beach because I wanted it to read like an old dating profile. <laughs> <laughs> like back when, uh, what was it? Video dating was a thing in like the 80s for right. a minute. Hi, my name is Clyde. I like long walks to the beach. I live with my mom and my favorite drink is Coke. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, speaking of long walks on the beach, thank you so much for joining us today on, on the Tabletop Submarine. John, if people want to support you, if they want more John Gilmore long in their life, what can they do? Uh, you know, I would have said Twitter a year ago. Um, I'm on Blue Sky, but I don't remember my username over there yet. Uh, if you just look up Jonathan Gilmore long, you'll find me. Interact with me on Facebook or BGG or any of those other places as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Best of luck to you. Hope you have a happy marriage with Tara. If you want to support the podcast, please consider sharing this with your friends. We always appreciate you. If you're going to be at PAX U, please find me. Or if you see John, be respectful and make sure you ask first. But go ahead. I'm sure John wouldn't mind saying you're a fan of his games. Is that right, John? Oh, no. I, you know, I love, I mean, come up to me for any reason and, and you don't even have to ask. Like, be polite, but other than that. <laughs> Sounds good. Yes, I'll be at PAXU. I hope to see some of you there. As always, my name is Josh. And I'm Andrew. And I'm John. And this has been the Tabletop Submarine. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the Tabletop Submarine podcast, please consider giving us five stars on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends, family, and other gamers in your life. See you on the next voyage.